Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your faithfulness, for your love and your mercy. And Father, we're just so grateful that we can gather, Lord, together and as a body, Lord, to worship you and to glorify you and to thank you for all that you have done and that you will continue to do wonderful things in our lives as we serve you. And Father, I just pray right now for Tony Diaz that you, your hand would be upon him, Lord, and the Diaz family, Lord, that I pray for a speedy recovery, Lord. Father, be with the doctors as they attend to him, Lord. I just bless Cindy and, and the kids, Lord. Just let your presence overwhelm them right now as we're praying. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just feed our hearts here this morning as we open up your word. And I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. That everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 is today's text. And we're now in part 7 of our series, Church Life. Say, Church Life. Come on, church. Church Life. Amen. You are the church, right? Say, Church Life. All right. All right. <laughs> well, good morning. All right. Here we go. But before I even dive into the text, I, I want to thank Gil Medell, Pastor Roberto, Julian Land, and Julian Perez for preaching while I was on vacation. They, they all did an amazing job. So let's give it up for them. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. As always, before we even dive into the text, I, I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 7. You might remember this, right? The context was pastoral leadership. Say that. And I gave you two points. You might remember these points. The first point was the pastor's call. Say that. The pastor's call. And that's in verse 1 of chapter 3. And, and Paul writes, here is a trustworthy or faithful saying. In other words, it's significant, it's important, and must be remembered. Well, here it is. If anyone sets his heart or aspires on being an overseer, pastor, bishop, elder, he desires a noble task. And so what this does, this describes somebody who pursues the ministry because of an inner compulsion. It carries the connotation of passionately setting your heart upon something. And so Paul's point is a person must want the job. There should be a, a God-given desire that moves the heart to action. It's not about the office. You guys got that? It's not about the office, it's about the work. It's about studying God's word, and not just studying God's word, but also caring for God's people. In other words, it's a calling. Say it's a calling. A spirit-inspired call to lead that cannot be satisfied by doing anything else. The second point was the pastor's character. Say that. The pastor's character. That's in verses 2 through 7 of this chapter, chapter 3. And Paul, what he does, he lays out the qualifications concerning the pastor's character because God has specific character qualifications for pastors in the church. Can someone say amen? And then he goes on to say, above reproach or blameless, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled or sober-minded, respectable or good behavior, hospitable. Then he says this, able to teach, this is not a, a character trait, but a gifting. It's the gift to teach. Then he says, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Then he says, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well. He must not be a recent convert. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. 
This now brings us to today's text. The title of the message today is Faithful Servants. Everyone say that with great enthusiasm. Faithful Servants. Now to set the stage or the background for today's text, we need to go to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. You can turn to that or you can just follow me as I go through it. Now before we, we even read that, let me tell you what was going on prior to that. On the day of Pentecost, and most of you might know the whole story, on the day of Pentecost, people were getting saved and the church was growing at a rapid pace. In Peter's first sermon, it says 3,000 were added to their number that day and then. In his second sermon, it says many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. But then it says this, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So with men... And women, it's estimated that the church in Jerusalem numbered between 30 to 40 plus thousand at that time. That's, that's a great thing, right? Yeah, it's a great thing. But at the same time, with growth, listen now, with growth comes its potential for problems. So let's now look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, if you're there. Because this is where we see the first deacons appointed in the church. And it reads like this, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being, what, overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And I want to stop there. The problem stemmed from the fact that although the early church was entirely Jewish, it was made up of two different groups of Jews. There were the, the Hebraic Jews, and these were the these were Jewish Christians, uh, Christian converts, should I say, who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, a dialect of Hebrew, as their main language. And they had been born uh, and raised in Israel. Therefore, they knew the customs of the synagogue intimately and brought their extensive culture with them when they entered the church. Then you have the Hellenistic, Hellenistic or Grecian Jews. These were Jewish Christian converts who spoke Greek because they had been born and raised outside of Israel. Are you guys with me so far? And they might have come from Cappadocia, Galatia, Pontus, uh, perhaps Macedonia, Crete, or any other part of the Roman Empire. And when they came to Christ, they brought their Greek-speaking culture with them. So this means they probably looked a bit different and certainly acted and sounded different from the Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians, which, which caused a little friction between them. And you see, they, speaking of the Hellenistic Grecian Jews, felt like the Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christian widows were being favored over their widows. You guys with me? Now, the apostles were responsible to seeing to it that those with legitimate needs, say legitimate needs, especially the widows, had food and essentials for daily living. But, but let me tell you something, this, was, this, this, this became a huge, huge challenge as the church grew. They were overwhelmed. And it became too big of a responsibility for them. And as a result, some of the widows didn't get their daily food allotments. And you see, friends, there was too much to do and not enough time or not enough manpower to do it. Verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, stay with me now. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of, of what? The word of God in order to wait on tables. And I want to stop there. When conflict arose, they, 
they took responsibility. And I love that. Someone say amen. They realized they can't be everywhere and can't do everything. And you see, friends, they had to focus on what God called them to do and to put others in place to meet the needs of the church. And so the apostles were simply saying, our calling is not the distribution of food. Our calling is the the distribution of God's word. Amen? Let's read the text again. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The King James says, serve tables. The phrase serve tables translates the same word that gives us the word deacon. Say deacon. In the Greek, the word deacon is diakonos, say diakonos. And it simply means servant, one who attends the needs of others. Their function, literally, literally, excuse me, was to deacon tables. And the word literally means to kick up dust. And it's the image of a servant working so hard and moving so fast that he leaves a cloud of dust behind him. Do you get that? And he's to be busy in his service, kicking up dust as he meets the needs of the people in the church. Verse 3, we're still in Acts chapter 6. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Verse 4, and we'll give our attention to what? Prayer and the ministry of the, of the word. So they showed leadership by coming up with the solution. They recognized their gift was spiritual leadership and not necessarily administrative matters. Now I want to say this. Pastors have to be very careful not to get too involved in too many temporal issues at the expense of their study of God's word. They have to protect their study time if they're going to be effective, good preachers and feed the flock good spiritual food. Can I get an amen? So the apostles determined not to let any service take precedence over prayer in the ministry of the Word. So they gave themselves continually, right, continually to prayer in the Word. In that order. Did you guys get that? It's in that order, okay, and that's significant. You see, they made, they made it a point. Now, you got to get this. They made it a point to speak to God prayer before speaking to people about God, His Word. And as pastors, we need to pray, amen, before we dive into God's Word. We need to pray before we study God's Word so that you guys can get the full effect of the Word of God. Amen? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Church, you ready for the lesson? Amen? Prayer and the Word. Write that down. Say that. Prayer and the Word. Now, though this is a major responsibility and ministry of pastors, it's also the main ingredients for the spiritual health of every single believer. Prayer and the Word must be a daily, daily priority in the life of every single believer. It must. It's essential, amen? There must be a daily discipline, because it's a discipline. A daily discipline to pray to God and to read God's Word that you and I would be prayed up, and not just prayed up, but saturated, flooded by the Word of God. Amen? 
Verse 5, stay with me now. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So they commissioned, they commissioned seven men, seven men, right, deacons who would be servants in the church. You guys with me so far, right? Got it? If you got it, say got it. Now, now we already focused on pastoral leadership in part six of the series. So this begs the question, what's the difference between pastors and deacons? Well, pastors, friends, are charged to watch over the spiritual welfare of the church, to teach and to preach the Word of God, to pray for the sick and to give counsel to those in need, and also to protect the church. Deacons support the pastors and ministry leaders of the church and serve the members of the church. They are charged to watch over the physical and material needs of the church as well as the facilities which the church uses. If you got it, say got it. Now, as we compare the, the, the qualities required of a pastor with those of a deacon, we'll see in the text that the qualifications are similar. They're similar. Both pastors and deacons need to be people of character. Say character. And you see, the primary difference is that the pastor or pastors need to be able to teach. And not that the deacon or deacons can't teach, but teaching is not their primary ministry. That's not a qualification nor a requirement of a deacon. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Though today's text is about the office of deacon, these are things that God desires from any, any Christian who would serve him. You see, the goal of every growing Christian is to be a servant. And not just to be a servant, but to be a faithful, a faithful, trustworthy servant. That being said, I want all of you here this morning to ask the question, do I have a heart for service in the church? Do I have a heart for service here at Cry Out? Do I have the understanding that I was saved to serve? Or are you like many Christians in the church today where you go to church to consume? It's the consumer mentality. What can I get? What can the church give me? What can the church do for me? And then walk away if you don't get your way. Walk away if things don't go your way. The consumer mentality. If you're safe, say amen. And as we go through the text, this text today, let's do a self-assessment, a self-assessment to see if we are actively involved and actively participating in our local body here at, at Cry Out. Two points, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the requirements. Say that. Write that down, the requirements. And then we're going to look at verse 8 here. We're now in the text. Verse 8, 
Paul writes, deacons likewise, or your Bibles might render it as in the same way. And what Paul does here, I love it, he transitions from pastors to deacons, and he's simply saying, deacons, just like I said to the pastors, just like I said to them, I'm now talking to you. So deacons likewise, in the same way, are to be men worthy of respect. That could also be rendered dignified, stately, or reverent. I want to stop there because deacons, say deacons, must be looked up to, up to with respect among both, among both believers and non-believers. And their testimony and lifestyle have earned the love and respect of the church. And friends, they are to display a lifestyle of integrity and unblemished character in a way that no one can point an accusing finger at them. They live for Jesus at home. They live for Jesus on the job. They live for Jesus in the community. They live for Jesus in the church. They can be trusted because they're of good reputation. They're highly respected in the congregation. Now, I want to go back to the text. I want to point something out. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect. That can also be translated serious. Say serious. In other words, deacons must be serious about the faith. They must be serious about serving God. In other words, they're not flippant, not, not a goof-off, not a clown. Now, now, this doesn't mean that deacons walk around with a serious face, okay, that, and that they never laugh or never joke around. It's not saying that. It simply means that they take the ministry seriously. They take the Bible, God's Word, seriously. They don't make light of serious matters. They, they, they have a seriousness of purpose and deep devotion about them. Listen, they, they, they conduct themselves in such a manner that others, get this now, that others respect and desire to imitate them. Did you get that? That being said, what brother, listen now, church, what brother or sister in Christ has impacted you in such a way that their lives have drawn a sense of awe and respect from you so much that you desire to imitate them. Because I got to tell you, there's a lot of people in this church today here at Cry Out who are dignified, respected, and stately. People that you say, man, I want to imitate them. And I appreciate you. Those of you that are dignified, respected, and stately, you are worth imitating. Amen? So he says, men worthy of respect. And he says this, Sincere, say sincere. Also translated not to be two-faced or double-tongued. <laughs> Did you get that? In other words, they are people of their word. Their yes means yes and their no means no. They, they don't say one thing to one person and something else to someone else and create issues. They don't backbite. They're sincere in their communication. They have consistency and integrity in what they say. You see, they are to have a reputation for honesty, I love this, and straight talk. Say straight talk. They say what they mean, and they mean what they say. Ready for the lesson? Here we go. Exercise integrity. We are to exercise integrity. Deacons, we, Christians, period, are to exercise integrity. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That you... Me, all of us, that we, be, we would be known for honesty and straight talk. Why? Because integrity does matter. Amen? And he says this, 
not indulging in much wine. Literally, not a wine watcher. They're not always around it. Not a bar hopper. <laughs> now, now listen, okay? Deacons are not to allow wine to influence them. They're not to be attached to drinking. Why? Because it clouds the mind. It blurs the senses. It impairs judgment. It can affect decision-making. And you see a deacon, a deacon needs to be a clear thinker. A deacon needs to be alert, discerning, capable of making good, sound decisions as they have to address hard issues and also difficult challenges. Now, I've shared this with you in part six of our series when we spoke about the pastor's character and call that I as a pastor, as a Christian, I don't drink. It's just my personal conviction. I don't expect my conviction to be your conviction, okay? It's my personal conviction. The Bible's very clear that Christians have the freedom to drink, but not the freedom to get drunk because drunkenness is a sin. Also, Christians have the freedom to drink, but not at the expense of making someone stumble. Now, I want to say this. Someone not willing, now get this now, someone not willing to forego their freedoms is not suited for spiritual leadership. Follow me. If a leader insists on drinking, though it makes others stumble, they're not qualified to lead. And I'll tell you why. Because their insistence of pleasing themselves reveals their lack of love for others. You guys with me? You seem to be more concerned with, with your own freedoms, which you have them, but to be more concerned about your own freedoms at the expense of others and making others stumble, it's just wrong because you're showing no love to them. Got it? Got it? Amen. Then he says this, and not pursuing dishonest gain. The New King James Bible renders it as not greedy for money. Now, since a deacon's duties often involve the distribution of money and gifts to the needy, there was always the possibility of embezzlement. And so a deacon could not be one who would pursue dishonest gain. Now, this doesn't mean that a deacon can't have a good job and make good money or have good money. Rather, that money doesn't have him, them. Amen? Verse 9, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 9, they must keep hold of deep truths of the faith. Now, your Bible might render it as holding the mystery of the faith. Now, I want to stop there because the mystery of the faith is Paul's term for Christian truth. Come on, say Christian truth. Okay, it points to that which once was hidden, but now has been revealed, been revealed in Christ. What was concealed is now revealed in Christ. Amen? So what he's saying is deacons must hold, grasp tightly to the central truths of the Christian faith. Hold, grasp tightly to sound doctrine, essential doctrine that constitutes the Christian faith. And we're going to spend a lot of time in more detail about that next week's text. Amen? So don't miss next week. So get this. Leaders, say leaders, in the church need to believe that the Bible is actually God's Word. Duh. Right? They need to believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God. They must hold that's what Paul's driving at. They must hold to the Word of God. Hold to sound doctrine. They don't invent truth. 
They don't add to the truth, make up some new truth. No. They hold, they grasp tightly to the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Amen? Now I want you to notice something. Notice that it's not just a general holding to the truth, but also a personal holding to the truth. Let's read on. He says, with a clear conscience. You guys get that? In addition to sound doctrine, deacons must be sound, get this, in obedience. Got it? They're not only to hold to the truth tightly, but they're also, listen, to obey the truth. Their life is so submitted to the Word of God that they have a a clear conscience. Therefore, daily, their life is being informed by the Word of God. And because it's being informed by the Word of God, it is daily being transformed by the Word of God. They, they, They not only know the truth and believe the truth, but they also live the truth out in their lives. And you see, friends, a pure conscience only exists where a person lives out his or her biblical convictions. So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Church, wake up. Do you, right? Amen? Here we go. Abide by the word. Say that. Abide by the word. Too much turkey, I guess, right? Abide by the word. Now, I want to say this. It's not just believing God's word, not just believing in the word, abiding, this is now in the word, but also abiding by God's word. It's, it's being, this is, it's belief that has been seen in behavior. And you see, it's one thing to know the truth, quite another to live it out in our lives. Isn't that true? Right? Now, if you're safe, say amen. I have a question, friends. Has the truth changed your life? Has the truth of God's word transformed your life? Has this word, listen now, has it produced something inside of your heart where you're living your life marked by the truth? It's not just orthodoxy, listen now, correct belief. It's orthopraxy, correct conduct. It's more than just being informed. That must translate into being transformed. Amen? Not just information, but transformation, demonstration that we have been changed by the truth of God's Word. Amen? Verse 10. They must first be what? Tested. Tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. The King James renders it like this. Let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. In the Greek, the word tested is dokimatso. Say that. Dokimatso, it means to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. It's, it's a period, a period, a time of testing. In the text, it means a life that has been observed. A life that has been observed. This means that potential deacons have an observed track record before they're put into office of deacon. If you got it, say got it. And I want to say this. Listen, church, you don't put someone into office and then test them to see if they're trustworthy. No, you don't, okay? You need to test them first. There is value in testing. There is value in testing people before allowing them to get too far into leadership. 
You see, the value of testing, the value of a, of a, of a, of a, of a period of testing, what that does, the value of that, what it does, it protects the church, it protects the leaders, and it prepares the potential deacon. You guys with me? The period of testing will reveal if the potential deacon is sincere, faithful, trustworthy, and listen now, and doesn't quit. Doesn't quit. An untested Christian is an unprepared Christian. You guys with me? An untested Christian is an unprepared Christian. You ready for the lesson? All right, here we go. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Faithful in little, say that. Faithful in much, say that. I want to remind you that Joseph, Joseph was a servant in Egypt for 13 years before he became second in command to Pharaoh. Moses, Moses cared for sheep for 40 years before God called him. You guys with me? Joshua, Joshua was Moses' servant before he became Moses' successor. And David, David was attending his father's sheep when Samuel anointed him as king of Israel. You guys with me now on this? Faithful in little means what then? Faithful in much. We must be tested to be proven. Amen? Verse 11. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. The New American Standard Bible renders it like this. Women, it says, in the same way, women must likewise be dignified. Now, it's difficult to know if Paul here is referring to the wives of male deacons or female deacons, um, such as Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Um, she was a deaconess. And so the original wording here in the text permits either possibility. You guys with me? It could mean the wives of male deacons or a female deacon, a deaconess. So whether it's that one or the other one, I believe it's both, could be both. Paul then, what he does, he mentions four requirements for them. Let's, let's read on, okay. Worthy of respect, right? We just read that. Worthy of respect, that's dignified, that's stately, that's reverent, serious about the faith, serving God. They're of good reputation. They're highly respected in the congregation. Then he says this, not malicious talkers, okay? Not diabolos, diablos. You guys with me? Okay, that's the word for what? Devil. They're not to be she-devils. They're not to be slanderers, is the translation of the word. Question, who's the chief slanderer? Huh? Not your husband, not your mother-in-law. Come on, not you. Okay, all right. Who's the chief slanderer? The devil, Satan. So women are not to act like the devil's children. They are to control their tongue. Why? I'll tell you why. Because women like to talk. Right? Women speak about 35 to 40,000 words a day. Okay? So women got to control their tongue. He's addressing this to the women. To the women, right? Women in leadership, women. Deaconesses, right? Women. By the way, you know why dogs have so many friends? 
because they wag their tails, not their tongues. Is it true? Watch your tongue. Then he says this, but temperate. In other words, even tempered, clear-headed, balanced, discerning, discreet, able to act, able to think, and render sensible, sober judgment in all areas of life. Then he says this, and trustworthy in everything. In other words, she is faithful and responsible. I want to stop right now and say this, that I, I thank God for the godly women who serve here at Cry Out. And i got to tell you, every single one of them are faithful, trustworthy, and responsible. Amen. So thank you. Thank you for those of you ladies who are serving in the capacity of leadership. Just serving, period. Amen. Praise God. Verse 12, verse 12. A deacon, going back to the guy, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children's. The word their children is referring to little children, younger children, not adult children. So a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. In other words, friends, he is to live in a way that they know his walk with God is real, that it's genuine. He raises kids well. There's evidence that he's done his best to minister to them and raise them in the ways of God. Someone please say amen. Say the requirements. Number two is here we go, the rewards. Say that. The rewards. Write that down. And so after, listen now, after listing the requirements or qualifications for those who serve in office capacity, such as the deacons in context and deaconesses, Paul now lists the rewards. Now I want you to notice they will receive human commendation. Human commendation. Look at verse 13a. Those who have served well. You guys get that? Not just serve, but serve what? Well, gain an excellent standing. In other words, those who have been approved, those who have been tested, serving selflessly, sacrificially, faithfully over the course of many years, Paul says there's going to be a blessing, there's going to be a reward, and what is it? An excellent standing. And what this does, this refers to respect in the church. They're appreciated, they're looked up to, the church is grateful and thankful for them. So I want to pause here, and I just I want to thank those of you who faithfully serve, men and women. I want to thank you for those of you who faithfully serve here at Crowd. Thank you. 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 I appreciate you with all my heart. Because that's... Not only God's heart, but that's the pastor's heart. That everyone would want to serve, amen? And I thank God for those of you that are faithful. Let's move on. They'll not only receive human commendation, but also receive heavenly confidence. Heavenly confidence. Look at verse 13b, the last part of verse 13. And great assurance, your Bibles might render it as boldness or confidence, in their faith in who? Come on, Christ Jesus. Write this down, Hebrews 10.35. Hebrews 10.35. says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, 
which has a great reward. You get that? Which has a great reward. You see, assurance, boldness, confidence is considered a reward for those who serve Christ well. Well. And the more confident in faith one becomes, I'm going to say it again, the more confident in faith one becomes, the more effectively and powerfully they live the Christian life. Because in their life, because of that, in their life, there's peace in trouble. There's joy in sorrow. And there's power in service. And you can see that in one who serves Christ well. You can see it. Amen? That in, no matter what they're going through, there's peace. Amen? That in, in sorrow, there's joy and there's power in their service. They're powered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, a faithful servant, a faithful leader, friends, will have a God-honoring, God-glorifying boldness that is confident in God, confident in God's Word, and confident in service to God and also service to God's people. So let's wrap this up. As As we've gone through the text, as we consider the office of a deacon or the office of a deaconess, we can be sure that these qualities... Right? Be sure that these are qualities, excuse me, are qualities of a faithful servant, right? Faithful servants. Therefore, friends, we should be challenged. As we walk through these requirements, right, we should be challenged to grow in them so that we might be found faithful so that when Jesus returns, we might hear and say, well done, good and faithful. What? Servant. So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Save to serve. Come on, say that. Jesus calls every one of us to serve. And I want to remind you that Jesus, listen now, that Jesus didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. You got that? Didn't come as a king, could have, but he didn't. He came as a servant. In Matthew 20, verse 28, we all know this, right, friends? Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me ask you this, as a Christian, as a Christian, how do you live your life? Think about that. As a Christian, how do you live your life? In the church, outside of the church, in the home, at work. How do you live your life? Do you live your life like this, where you live your life doing your thing, serve me. Serve me. I want to be served. What can I get? What can you give me? Do you live your life this way, as a Christian? Or do you live your life this way? How can I serve? I want to serve you. I want to serve God. I want to be a faithful servant. I want to be one who serves Christ well. Because there's so, listen, there's so many blessings and so much joy in serving God, serving His people, 
and being a servant. You know what the amazing and beautiful thing about serving God is? Is that He gets all the glory and He graciously and lovingly gives us all the joy. Let's all stand.